You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, we are in our third week in this series through the book of Mark that we have been calling This Changes Everything. Because the the coming of Christ into the world changes everything. The the death of Christ on, on our behalf changes everything. The resurrection of Christ from the dead changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And so just think about that. Think about that word for a minute. Everything. All of life is affected by the work of Jesus. You know, one way to to think about that is to remember the greatest command of Scripture, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is to say, love God with every aspect of your being, every part of who you are. Give it all over in love and service to God. But God would not ask you to love Him with a part of yourself that He was not willing to help you love Him with. And so if he asks you to love him with everything, then it must be that he is willing to help us love him with everything. So just think about that with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. Jesus says, I want all of you. I want all of it. I'm I'm with you in it all. And so however you are struggling today, Jesus says, hey, come to me because I make all the sad things untrue. You know, another way to think about that might be to consider the words of the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper who famously said that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. Jesus says, all of it belongs to me. All of creation belongs to Christ. He's Lord over all. And that means that anywhere that there is brokenness and pain in any part of it, he will redeem and change and renew. Now, not to give away the ending, but that's where the Bible's headed. If you get to the very end of Scripture, the Bible ends by pointing us to this glorious hope when all things are finally made new. We're told there that in the presence of God, death and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Truly, all things will be made new. And so so hear me, there is not a part of who you are that God does not love. There is not a part of who you are that God does not desire to make new. He can change it all. And and if you'll let him, he will. And we're going to see that really clearly this morning in this this passage from Mark chapter 2. Here we're going to find an unnamed man and his four friends coming to Jesus and Jesus responding by changing everything in this man's life. They come to him seeking physical healing, but he looks far deeper into the depths of this man's soul 
And he offers him something far better because Jesus changes everything. And so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn it this morning to Mark chapter two. And I'm gonna read for us verses one to 12. And if you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in this morning, you'll find it on page 928. And we just wanna remind you as always, these Bibles are here for you. So if you don't have a copy of God's word at home, please take one of these with you. We want you to have the scriptures for your very self. Let me read for us Mark two, one to 12. It says, And when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. I wonder to what extremes you would be willing to go to bring your friends to Jesus. You see, word had gotten around about Jesus. In chapter one, we're told about his popularity, his fame spreading so much that he was packing out houses everywhere he went, so much so that he had to actually meet outside of the city in in what it's called desolate places, just so there would be enough room for all of the people who wanted to see him. And so now he returns home to Capernaum and the same thing happens. And he's there in this house, and we're told that he is preaching the word. And notice there's not, there's not any mention of people coming to him for healing until this one man, which makes me think that maybe this guy is just the only guy in town that missed out on healing the last time he was there. Because if you, if you remember all the way back in chapter one in Capernaum, we're told that the whole city came out and they, the whole city brought those who were sick and he was healing many of them. He was casting out these demons, but now he's back and he's come back to teach once again. But there's at least one man in town who's still struggling physically. And so his friends are going to do all that they can to make sure that that is brought to an end. So just think about the great links that they went to here. I mean, first off, the fact that they carry the guy to the house at all is remarkable. 
I mean, just think about how much they must have loved their friend. When Jesus came to town, everybody, everybody is running to see him. Everybody wants to be there. It's like the release of a new iPhone. Everybody is there. The line is down the road. Everybody needs to see him. But these guys, these guys stop on their way to get their friend. They could have left him behind, but they have this faith that is full of love and compassion. And so they pick him up by the four corners of his mat and they carry him. And they carry him all the way through town to this house. And they would allow no obstacle to stand in their way because their love for their friend was too great. They would not be stopped. And, and they really did have an incredible faith. They could have gone to prison in today's world, property damage here. But they have faith that Jesus is going to do something amazing. And Jesus recognizes it in verse 5 we're told that Jesus saw their faith. And when he saw their faith, did he do what they wanted? No. Not really. Right, they brought their friend there for healing. They wanted their friend to be able to walk again. And, and no doubt the guy on the mat wanted the same thing as well, right? But Jesus looks down at him and looks way beneath the surface. First Samuel 16, 7 says that the Lord sees not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesus, who is Lord over all, looked not simply at the outward appearance of things, but he peered into this man's heart. And he saw his deepest need. And I wonder if, if a minute or two or a moment or two didn't pass there where things just sort of slowed down for this guy on the mat. As he looked up into the eyes of Jesus and with this deep sort of excited, right? Faith-filled expectation, this guy's gonna heal me. But as his gaze meets the, the knowing and compassionate eyes of Jesus, he realized that he was being seen, like truly known. He wasn't just the paralytic in town anymore. Jesus looked at him and, and knew him and saw him. And that is a wonderful thing, but that is a terrifying thing to be so fully known, so deeply known. And so, so fear might have just overtaken him for a moment, but obviously he could run nowhere. But then those deep words of grace, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's not what you came for, but it's the thing that deep down, it's the thing that you needed and that you wanted. There's nothing better that he could have received. And frankly, even if for the rest of his life, he was stuck on that mat, he would have received the greatest gift of all. Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, think about what hope that brings. It's, 
It's that verse that, that Kathy read for us earlier from Psalm 103, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives our iniquities and heals all your diseases. The, the first and the, the best benefit that he can bring is the forgiveness of sins. And I, I know, I know that many, many of us may be thinking of all the things, maybe there's just a whole list of things that we want to come and ask God for, right? God, would you, God, would you heal me? God, would you, would you fix my marriage? God, would you help me out financially? God, would you be with my children? God, would you help my parents? God, I don't want to be depressed anymore. I don't want to be anxious anymore. God, would you help me with my fear? And he, here's the thing. God wants to bless you in all of those ways. God wants you to bring all of that to him. But the most important thing and the thing that he's most eager to give to you is forgiveness of your sins. And whatever you're bringing to him, just know this, he sees deeper. He knows more fully and he longs to forgive you. That thing that you think maybe God could never forgive, that, that thing that you think, I, I can't bring this to him. I'm just too ashamed to talk about this. But just like that guy on the mat Jesus looks deep into your heart. He sees it all. He knows your deepest need and he offers a deeper hope. He says, son, daughter, in Jesus, in me, your sins are forgiven. And that's hope. But these scribes, the, the, the religious leaders who are there in the room, they don't like it. They don't, this isn't the way things are done, right? So look at verse six. It says, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their heart, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And, and in a sense, they are completely correct, right? Who can? Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one, right? Jesus would agree with them. No one but God can forgive sins. The thing that they missed, the thing that they didn't want to believe was that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That is to say that he is God made visible. God, but now you can see him, right? Hebrews 1 tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. You want to see God? Look at Jesus, because Jesus is God and he has power over sin and over the effects of sin. And so they begin to question in their heart. And just like God can, Jesus could read their hearts. And he calls them out. He says, why do you question these things in your heart? Which, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? Which is easier? You know, because on the, on the one hand, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. I mean, how do you prove that? How do you prove whether that happened or not? But if you say you're healed, well, that demands evidence, right? If the guy doesn't get up and walk away, it's proof that you're a fraud. So which one's easier? 
Well, which one's easier to, to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But which one's easier to do? You know, there are many prophets who could heal. Many of them did. And in fact, for Jesus, it was quite easy to heal. He's Lord over all. He spoke all of creation into existence. Surely he can make the lame to walk. Healing the paralytic only demands power, but forgiving his sin requires death. And at that moment, at the moment that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he is once again committing himself to the cross. Because there's no other way that forgiveness can be granted but through the death of Jesus. It is far harder to forgive sins than to heal. But Jesus loved you enough to do both. Jesus is God and he has power over sin and the effects of sin. Romans 8.32 says of God that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Right? Jesus willingly went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. And if he's willing to do that, then how would he not? be willing to grant us everything that we could ever need, even healing. And, and in this case, in the case of, of Mark chapter two, this healing is actually evidence of the forgiving. And so in verse 10, this is what he says. He says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he heals the paralytic. He says, you want proof? You want proof that his sins are actually forgiven? Well, let me heal him as well because we can't always see forgiveness, but we can see healing. It's the external visible proof of an, of an inside invisible reality that Jesus is God and he has power both over sin and the effects of sin. And so having seen the power of Jesus to forgive and to make whole, we might also want to consider how is that power applied to us? Well, Jesus says there, or I should say Mark says there of Jesus that he saw their faith. His, his forgiveness was applied by faith. And that happens over and over and over again as you read through the gospels. It's because of people's faith that they are healed and forgiven. In just a few chapters, in a few weeks, we're going to look at this story. We're going to see Jesus healing a woman. He says to her that she has this incurable disease, but that it's her faith that has made her well. And then moments later, moments later, he's going to turn to a father whose daughter has just died. And he's going to say, hey, don't fear, believe don't fear, believe. And he did believe and his daughter was raised back to life. And, and perhaps most telling actually is in Mark chapter six, because in Mark six, Jesus returns home to his, his actual home to Nazareth and the people refuse to believe in him. And what we're told there in verse five is that because of their unbelief, he could not do mighty works there. Not that he would not, 
Not that he he didn't like them or he was mad at them because they didn't believe in him, so he wouldn't do it, but he couldn't do it because they lacked the faith to receive the work that he would have done in them. It's true even today, right? It is by faith that the forgiveness of God is applied to us. In in, in Ephesians chapter two, we're told that by grace, we are saved through faith. When, When Paul is talking to the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul's response is simply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There is hope to be found in Jesus. He is God, he has power over sin and over the effects of sin and all who believe in him, we're told he gives the right to become the children of God. The children of God. Listen, there is nothing, nothing that you have done that is so bad that it cannot be forgiven. There is no amount of running that you've done that God won't welcome you back as his child. Right to, to personalize that most famous verse in Scripture, God so loved you that he gave his only son so that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus is God and he has power over, over sin and over the effects of sin. And by faith, that power is applied to us and that changes everything. And so in, in verse 11, Jesus says, he says, I, I say to you, pick up your bed, right? Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And do you see what happens here? He, he rose and he took up his bed and he went out. And I love that. I love that he picked up his bed. Because there's, there's a part of, of me that feels like if I, I just got healed, if for the first time, at least in a long time, I could finally walk again, I would just hop right up. I would be running out of that place, leave the bed. I don't ever want to see that bed again. Leave it behind. I am healed. But here's the thing. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. Jesus said, rise. He rose. Jesus said, pick up your bed. He picked up his bed. Jesus said, go home. And I got to believe he went home. The right response to the incredible work of Jesus in your life is obedience, full and complete obedience. It reminds me of another story where really the same thing happens. In John chapter five, we're told that Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and he tells the man to take up his mat. And the guy takes up his mat, but it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry your mat around on the Sabbath. And he gets confronted by these same religious leaders. And when they confront him, here's what he says in John 5, 11. He answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He says, listen, I'm going to do what he said because he clearly has more power than you do because he healed me and you didn't. So I'm going to obey him. The right response to the work of Jesus in our life is complete and total obedience to him. 
And the right response to the work of Jesus in our life is to give glory and praise to God. And that's what they do. That's what they do. Look at verse 12 there. It says, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And I'm sure they hadn't, right? Jesus is God. He has power over sin and the effects of sin. He is worthy of all of our praise. And they were amazed. Even even the guys who were questioning in their heart, they were amazed. They may not have liked what they saw, but they were amazed by it. And what about you? How amazed are you by the work of God in your life? I mean, just think about all that he's done for you. Think about how much he loves you. Think about what Jesus has done. Jesus is God. And yet he set aside his glory and he came and he lived among us here on earth. He was, he was with his father in, in the fullness of bliss and eternal glory. And, but he loved us enough that he would come down into the brokenness of this world to rescue us from from sin and from sickness and and from Satan. And he lived this, this perfect life, but he was rejected, rejected by the very people that he came to save. He was brutally murdered. He was hung on a cross for crimes that he never committed, all because he loved you and me. And on that cross, we're told that the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it would not be poured out on us. Think about what that means. I mean, he didn't just die for sins, but then he he rose again with victory over all of that sin. He beat it. Right? He doesn't just forgive us, but he sets us free from sin. Sin no longer has a hold on us. We're told that he fills us up with the, with the Holy Spirit to help us to live life differently. And it just keeps on going, right? The promises that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, that by the Spirit he dwells within us, right? And he set before us this hope of an eternity with him, an eternity where there is no more death and there is no more mourning and there is no more crying. All of the sad things are made untrue. And when we believe in him, he sets us completely free. It changes everything. And when you think about that, when you think, how could you not be amazed? How could you not glorify God, right? And that's why when we get to that end of scripture, When we look at the the book of Revelation, we see all that he has done. Scripture tells us that we will join together in giving eternal glory and praise and honor to him. We're gonna cry out with, with all of the saints, worthy are you to receive glory and honor and praise. He is worthy of all of our praise because he's God and he has power over sin and he has power over the effects of sin. And I pray that today you would believe in him and that you would worship him. Let's pray.
Father, we are amazed by you. God, you truly are worthy of all of our praise. When we look at who you are, and when we look at who we are, it doesn't make much sense at all that you would come and save people like us. And yet you did because you love us. You love us that much. We're so grateful that when you look into the depths of our being and when you see all of the filth in us, you don't abandon us, but you love us even more. And you offered yourself fully, fully and freely for us so that any who would believe in you would be saved. Thank you, Lord. And in light of your incredible kindness to us, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to live lives of obedience and praise. In Christ's name, amen.